Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor. Because a healthy body is a sexy body. It's been a momentous year here. It's just incredible how 2015 has whipped by. And I want to ask you, do you know what month of the year has the highest number of breakups, the most loneliness, the highest rate of depression? It's December, and it gets worse in January. So I want you right now, all of our wonderful Modern Love family, to listen carefully to tonight's show because we're going to share with you, with our special guest, a way to get your arms around this part of the year so that you don't have to slide into loneliness, depression, being stressed out, burned out, and all of that from the holiday season or just feeling left out. It's really important to find the gift in every experience that we have, no matter how challenging. And our guest, Angela Howell, has written a book called Finding the Gift. And she has 366 unique ways that you can see life from a much richer, higher perspective And actually, what she wants us to do is learn to embrace mindful living. Now, Angela isn't coming to find the gift from having a bed of roses. Oh, far, far from it. When I read her story, I thought, she has got to be somebody that we have on the show who can talk with us about finding the gift in everyday life because she's been on the journey for a long time getting to personal freedom. So Angela's going to tell us all about her story, how she came to write Finding the Gift. Welcome to the show, Angela Howell. Thank you, Dr. Wade. I'm so glad to speak to you tonight. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, the thing that's important is that most people, when they look at where you are now, might think, oh, she's always had it easy. What really happened in your life that led you to find the gift? Well, that's interesting because actually my whole life people have looked at me and thought I had it all together, but that was on purpose. I got really good at putting on a mask to look good and make everyone think everything was okay. Yeah, I know uh, that coping strategy. We call that looking good while feeling bad. I mastered that myself, and I know you and I aren't alone. 
Yes, yes. So, you know, the short story of it is is I had kind of a chaotic childhood, as many people do, and I talk about that even in my intro, that, that suffering is ordinary, um, and to stay stuck in victim mentality does no one any good. So what and, happened um, in your childhood when you say chaotic? Oh, gosh. It's a, it's a long story, but uh, just really chaotic uh, divorce, some serious trauma that led to the development of an eating disorder that I practiced for probably 10 to 15 years, over three hospitalizations. I really thought that I would die um, from my eating disorder. And the eating disorder was just a way to cope with depression and low self-esteem and, you know, terrible fears and insecurities. But meanwhile, on the outside, I was excellent and successful in everything I did, straight-A student. Um, While you worked. had an eating disorder? Oh, sure. Oh, While my God. You really jobs. got good at hiding. <laughs> I got really good at hiding. I, I modeled. I, I then went to college, grad, worked full-time through college, got into sales. I have, you know, Salesperson of the Year awards that, you know, big collection of those. While emptiness, you know, was just really what plagued me on the inside. And um, I feel like I got the opportunity to overcome other things as well. And to the point, sometimes, you know how when you have a bad day, maybe the first thing makes you mad, you spill your coffee, then the second thing you trip on something, then that makes you madder. Then for me, the third thing just makes me laugh and makes me go, ah, there's a lesson here. And I think that's what happened in my life after so many things. It's like, okay, something, someone's trying to teach me something. Now, how did you get to that point from an eating disorder that almost killed you? Three hospitalizations. So this was very, very serious. And eating disorders and problems with food are one of the biggest addictive illnesses in the country, most people don't realize, we usually hear more about drug addiction or alcohol addiction, but food addiction is way up there because everybody has to eat. So how did you get from literally almost killing yourself with the eating disorder to going, oh, well, somebody's trying to teach me something. What's the bridge? How did you get your feet on the bridge? Well, for me, at first, it was really, I would go to treatment because I didn't want to die. And, but I guess I got so tired of feeling so bad and fighting this impossible monster that the last time I really was ready to live, I had just had enough. And I think with any addiction or or food disorder or anything or any problem, even if we're at a job that we hate or, or in a relationship that's unhealthy, we know we should do something. But until we just reach that point where we've had enough, we don't change, and I just got to the point where I had had enough, and I really wanted to live, and I was willing to do anything it took to make that happen, and it wasn't easy. It was very difficult, but one day at a time, which is the I can imagine mantra. it was difficult. So the first thing that happened for you is you were in treatment. You knew help was available because you'd been in treatment, and you said, this is enough. Now, did you go into a treatment program that had the 12-step approach? Because you said one day at a time, and that certainly is the motto of the 12-step programs. Yes. The, all three treatment centers, actually, I'm, I'm so grateful, looking back, did embrace the 12 steps, even for eating disorders. And not all mental health professionals 
lump it together and go for that approach. But anytime I speak with anyone with an eating disorder, I, I truly believe the 12-step program saved my life. So, yes, each of them had it. And I want to sign on there. As a clinician, I also send people to 12-step programs because I just don't know of anything that gives a higher level of support. And I'm also a scientist, and the science mm-hmm. says that the best programs for dealing with destructive behavior patterns that are a form of addiction, one or the other, the best programs with the lowest recidivism rates are actually the 12-step programs. So I always look at the science first, and the science does prove your point, Angela. Yes, I had to have the doctors and the nutritionists and the psychologists, psychiatrists. I had to have all of that. But if it hadn't been for the frequent support, been in my shoes, there's just no substitute for that. What was the most important thing you learned early in your treatment when you said, I've had enough, I want to live, I don't want to fight this monster anymore, it's it's killing me and I just can't deal with it anymore? What was like the turning point? What was the first thing you learned that really made a difference? Well, in the 12th step, uh, we talk about uh, surrendering, which is the third step, turning our will and our lives over to the care of God. Um, I finally realized I and I guess the first step too I'm powerless I cannot do this by myself I have to have help and so asking for help was and being willing to be vulnerable enough to ask for help was probably a huge turning point Mm. wow all right so that surrender I'm going to let go and let something greater than myself, my higher power, come in and do something here to help me and do for me what I can't do for myself. And you have the support of other people. So these are important. Everybody, I want you to take notes because Angela's dropping a little roadmap here. No matter what you're dealing with, it doesn't have to be issues with food. It could be money. It could be alcohol. It could be a relationship getting support, and finding some kind of spiritual path. I don't care what it is, but anything that inspires and uplifts you will absolutely help you. And if it's addiction, run, don't walk, to the nearest 12-step program for what you're dealing with. And there's a program for everything, from money to sex to love to food to alcohol, you name it. So, Angela, once you got in the program, And you talked about victim consciousness. Now, I've worked with enough people in my classes and seminars for many years now that come in and there's kind of a victim mentality, and you alluded to that. And most people suffering from anything where they feel stuck have got some of that mentality. So how did that show up for you? You know, this is a really... um something that I'm passionate to talk about. I start my book off with the introduction statement that says suffering is ordinary. A therapist told me that one time, and I wanted to slap him across the room. (laughs) Suffering is ordinary, but do you understand what I just said, what he did to me and what this and this? And he just said suffering is ordinary. And I thought, ah, but over the years that settled into my bones because as long as I stand on my pedestal of troubles and I think my troubles are greater than yours, 
I continue to separate myself from you and everyone else. And on that pedestal, it's lonely. And so I have had to embrace the fact that even after the eating disorder, I went on to suffer a work injury that ended up ended a successful 12-year corporate sales career, and I could no longer physically do the things that I was used to doing. Um, but I had to embrace that it was all ordinary. No, it wasn't fun, but there's a lot of people out there who have great struggles, and I am no different than any of them, and and yeah. I have to embrace that. So, but it but it is easy to get into a victim mindset and let that become your identity because you don't know what you who i understand what you're saying and the minute that's your identity and you think oh my goodness i'm special because i suffer so much more then you feel entitled to do all kinds of things that not only don't serve you they don't serve other people so that why me look how much i suffer that victim mentality everybody's against me all of that how did you break free of it you got you know you got i'm not special but what came next i just really began to embrace this philosophy that suffering is ordinary and that compare pain cuz pain is pain and the things that bring me to my knees may be different than what brings someone else to their knees but it's no less painful it still brought us both to our knees and um I just began to embrace the fact that, that you know, I, I can't continue to believe that I'm that special. I, I, and, again, with the 12-step program, um, it doesn't do me any good to think I'm better than or less than because either way I'm separating myself. I want to be anonymous. You know, 12 Steps Anonymous means we don't talk about who we see, but I, I explored that, and it also meant one among many and I wanted to be one among many for the first time in my life. I always felt so separate. And so wow, to, to that's look at that powerful. is a powerful thing. So join yes, the human race. Yes, yes. You join the human race. Of. Now, how did you get to this idea of, you know, we are more alike than we are different? Because that's one of the principles in your book. We're more alike then we are different. Yes, that that really came out of the study of the word anonymous and what that means, again, besides just confidentiality in a 12-step room. And I realized that when someone is grandiose, arrogant, a lot of us think that that's someone who thinks they're better than themselves. But somewhere along my journey, it was pointed out to me that when I have low self-esteem and I think I'm less than other people, that's also a form of grandiosity. It's still making me special. And I had to address that. That was a character defect to continue to think that I am different. And so, so there's I had to, a lot of breaking down of this idea that I'm different, beginning to embrace the idea I'm human, I'm part of the many, and I'm really, therefore, just a human being like everybody else. Now, how did mindfulness come into this? Well, it's crazy. As as I mentioned, I had a work injury that completely ended a 12-year, very successful corporate sales career And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I mean, I could barely brush my teeth. I didn't know how I was, you know, going to spend my days. And in that terrible time, 
I started seeing visual metaphors along my everyday path, whether it was in nature or driving through a car wash or cleaning the house. And these visual metaphors brought me just, boom, to the moment and then delivered this life lesson with it. So it was like it brought me to mindfulness, which is being very, very, very present and observing, you know, what's happening around us. But then I would also get this powerful insight attached. And they were so profound, I started writing them down in a journal just for me. I had no intentions of writing a book. So this is important. I want to just back up for a sec. You said this helped you to become present. And boy, is that not the key. Because anyone who is struggling with anxiety or depression, I challenge you to come present into this moment right now by taking a deep breath. And I know that this is part of what you encourage people to do in your work, Angela, and I want people to just know that you're dropping this roadmap, and I want to highlight the importance of being present. When we're fully present, we realize everything's okay right now. I'm okay right now in this moment, and whatever is going on, I'm going to live this moment and get to the next moment. So because this is the time of year when people feel so stressed out and wrung out, and and I've been talking to people for the last two weeks in my classes and in my private practice who have been facing some terrible situations because there are many more people feeling depressed, lonely, and suicidal than people might imagine. So this is an important, important podcast for everybody to pay attention to. So we've got Come Presence. It's got Join the Human Race. And you've got that big distinction that you make that my suffering is ordinary. So as we move on, my next question is, everybody talks about mindfulness Do you have to be like a mindfulness expert or guru or take a lot of classes to practice this or to benefit from your book? You know, I think mindfulness scares some people, and I think it makes them believe they've got to have this serious practice, this serious discipline. But I'm hoping that my book will help people see that mindfulness is all around them, you know, by checking into their senses. You know, you mentioned taking deep breaths. That's a great one, and paying attention to what they see or what they smell. And so, you know, my book is 366 just daily thoughts, just a quick little couple of paragraphs with a visual for them to think about. And what I'm hoping to do is expand their awareness so that when they encounter maybe something similar in their day, oh, yeah, okay, that's mindfulness because I just noticed that. And so, no, you definitely don't have to be an expert. I think mindfulness, I joke that it's as easy as figuring out where your feet are. And if you can look down and see your feet, boom, you just got mindful. Mm, I've never heard that before. I like that. <laughs> you know, I like I, that. If you can remind, find if I can your be feet. Where my feet and hands are. <laughs> right, feet, hands, and breath. If I can be there, goes a lot better. Wow, that's fantastic. So, from noticing where you are, what are some of the other things people can do to be mindful? Well, I think, like I mentioned, the senses. So um, one of the things that I like to do when I'm 
feeling like my mind is running on a hamster wheel. I'm in tomorrow. I'm in yesterday. I'm everywhere but in this moment. Then I can look at what do my eyes see? What am I touching? That's a really great one because so many of us are so unaware of our bodies. And so, like, what does the seat feel underneath me? What does it feel like underneath me? Is it hard? Is it soft? Just some tactile things to try to bring us back into our bodies. Um, do I smell anything? Do I hear anything? There's a there's a saying in recovery, the same therapist, I almost said something I shouldn't have said, uh-huh. <laughs> the same therapist that challenged me that suffering is ordinary, he said, do you hear the birds? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, a lot of people in early recovery don't hear the birds. And I thought, I thought wow. And so we get so caught up in what our mind and all this chatter we don't even hear nature. Yes, or see nature, or, or see, see ourselves it. or see other people. So I love this path we're going down. So you talk about finding the gift. Now, what does that really mean, finding the gift? For me, that means gifts are everywhere. They're in us. They're around us. The trick is to tune in to ourselves and our surroundings so we can see the gift. It also means for me when I'm in the middle of a difficult situation, I've been practicing this for a while now, so the minute I you know, have a setback or a disappointment, I won't allow myself to go down a bad road. I mean, sure, I'm human and there's days where I slip, but my brain automatically goes, okay, well, there must be a gift here. must be some sort of protection for me not to get have that thing work out or this just wasn't the way that I was supposed to go, so there's something better coming. And there's uh, a balance. There's a balance because I do know people who use this as a cop-out. They say, well, I just wasn't supposed to be with that person, so they don't make the effort to learn and grow and deal with some real learning that needs to happen in that relationship or in that situation. So be careful, everybody. You want to find the gift, and you also need to ask yourself, what's my part and how can I grow from this? You don't throw the Absolutely. baby out with bathwater. I just have to say it because I face it almost every day with people going, oh, it just wasn't supposed to happen. I say, no, you're pretty much copping out. So right, right. We for have those to get the who lesson. want to join the conversation, we have a few minutes left. You can talk with Angela Howell, the author of Finding the Gift, so she can help you and coach you if you're struggling with any kind of addictive process or issues that you're facing. You can call us at 347-989-0776 or hit us back on Facebook or Twitter. Dr. Brenda Wade, our associate producer, Cliff Dunning, is standing by to take your calls so please, Hans, we'll go right ahead. Oh, I, I think what you were saying was excellent because we have to get our lessons. Someone commented on uh, today's reading was practice being where you are, and she commented on that, and I said, you know, we're just, we're just kindred sisters. We all have the same lessons to learn. The, the people and the circumstances might be different, but if we don't learn our lessons, ooh, guess what? They come back. Yeah, they do. There's, you know, there's that repetition. You're going to repeat this lesson. It's like repeating the grade until you pass the test. So if right. you say to yourself, oh, well, I can slide by over here, it's just going to meet you coming around the corner. So don't do yes. that to yourself. 
Yeah, okay, so Ansel, I can we try have a question. Okay. Hold yeah. on one sec. Let me just uh, field this. Hold on. Uh, the question is coming in from Joe. Okay, Joe, you want to know why you have such a hard – he wants to know why, or could be a woman. I'm so sorry, Joe. Uh, Joe says, why do I have such a hard time meditating? You want to answer? Do you want me to answer? Oh, please. You are the expert. Well, Go for it. Listen, I am right there with you, Joe. I, this is my handbook for life. I have nowhere near mastered this. I wrote these down so I could remind myself, decided to share. Meditating is difficult. We are living in a society where we can have five conversations at once. We can be tweeting. We can be doing this. And so to sit still, it probably is still one of the hardest things that I have to do all day is to take that time to drain my brain and to, to just numb all the chatter and just tune into myself. So I would say you are right on target. If you weren't having trouble, I guess I might wonder, but um, I would just say keep trying. Keep trying and start start small. See if you can go for three minutes. Set a timer on your phone. Thank goodness we do have smartphones. They do offer some benefit. And that's how I practice is, is start small and see if I can just go three minutes without another thoughts will wander, and you can say, well, thank you for sharing that. Now let's come back. Um, that was another thing that I learned in 12 Steps. Our thoughts can end. Yeah. I thought my thoughts would have to go on and on and on. But, right. But to, to say that mantra, my thoughts can end. Wow. Yeah, and I want to just say this because Western minds are so busy. For the reason that you said, Angela, we have incoming all the time. The brain's moving faster and faster and faster because we're talking on the phone, we're driving, we're texting, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing everything all at the same time. Very important, if your mind has trouble being quiet, choose something to focus on. It's kind of like, you know, the elephant holds something in its trunk so the trunk doesn't get in trouble when the elephant is being led around. And you can give your mind a mantra. It can be as simple as repeating over and over, I am light, I am light, I am light, I am light. You can say it slowly. You can chant it quickly. But it gets Mm -hmm. the mind to quiet down because now the brain, got to pull the brain science over here, the brain is going into a state of what we call entrainment, and it helps you to quiet. So if it's hard to stop the thoughts, just choose a thought you want to focus on. Okay, we have another question. It says, this is from Tom in San Francisco. Tom asks, how can I be mindful in a world of constant crisis? And with everything going on in the world, that's a darn good question, Tom. Thank you. This is a very good question. There's there's just something all the time that could take our focus. And I think we just have to have intentional times that we set aside to be still. And I'm, I'm talking to myself. Uh, and for me, it works out well to try that in the day, uh, or the first part of the day. But I have reminded my perfectionism that, that if it doesn't happen in the morning, I could take a three-minute break any time during the day. Oh, my God, did you say perfectionism? (laughs) I did. I really think that's the number one addiction, the addiction to perfectionism, thinking we should be perfect. Thank you for bringing that one up, Angela. I've been reading that one back for years. I write a lot about firing the should boss. There's a lot of, you know, cancel the shoulds, ought tos, and 
and all of that in the what book. What a so it, Oh, my God. Yes. So, Angela, we have just a few minutes left. I know that the daily meditations and finding the gift also have some seasonal content. What is the one you would recommend for this season? Here we are. It's the deep winter. We just went into the deep winter last night with the solstice, the longest night of the year. And it's all the holidays. Every tradition on the planet has some sort of holiday this time of the year. And what would you say from your book you'd like to offer us as a meditation for this time of year? You know, um, gosh, there are several things. I, I, I like what we've talked about already. I have... Uh, one that I wrote on December 25th, talking about what you really believe matters. And I mentioned that, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about the Christmas story, and the challenge for that day is what story are you repeating about your own life? And is it a story that makes you feel good, or is it a story that makes you feel bad? So if it doesn't make you feel good, let's stop telling that story. Let's choose a new story. Because we can only have the life that we believe we can have, and that comes from the story we're telling ourselves. Mm, Nice. I like that a lot. And most people are unaware that the brain is, in fact, a programmable tool. Every thought we think, and I have a thing I call the big five, your beliefs, thoughts, words, feelings, and actions, every one of them programs the brain So as Angela is advising, choose. Choose the story you want. You can even write it down so you can remember it and read it over. Angela, what a rich gift, and I know you have a free gift for everyone. Tell us about it. I do, and I know uh, just very quickly, if you go to my website, which is findingthegift.com, I'm creating a virtual community of like-minded people who want to find the gift and support others who are seeking gifts in their lives. So if you go to findingthegift.com, depending on the device you're on, there's going to be an orange box either to the right or down below that says join the community. You'll get updates, but I will immediately send you a free ebook, 10 Secrets to Finding the Gift. So there is a holiday gift everyone can cherish, Finding thegift.com is the website. Angela Howell is the author of the book, Finding the Gift. Our guest tonight, Angela, a lot of rich, deep wisdom. And you're going to get that ebook, Ten Secrets to Finding the Gift. So glad to have you with us. Everybody stay tuned for next week. We have Dr. Kyra Bobinet, who's going to talk about how to have a fearless new year in 2016. Imagine a year when you're not driven by fear. We always have wisdom, we always have a little humor, and we always have something you can use. It's news you can use here at Modern Love Radio. Thank you to our producer, Mr. LeGrand Green, our associate producer, Mr. Cliff Dunning, and to all of you in our Modern Love community and our special guests, I say much love, many blessings, especially this time of the year and every time of the year. Good night, everybody.